the financial crisis over a decade ago, it was financial leaders with the foresight, discipline, and attention to set up proper financial governance for their companies that emerged stronger, better, and ready for what came on the other side. Their peers that assumed the good times would never end were punished, some by being permanently shuttered. We are living through another similarly huge shift. This one is not driven by monetary policy or investments or the financial tools and products of the last crisis, but the difficulty in gathering and retaining the company's most valuable resource, its people. Talent has been growing scarcer and scarcer over the last several decades, but the pandemic has accelerated a shift in talent and human capital like we have never seen before. Tumbling fertility rates, the great resignation, employee burnout, mental health burdens, information overload. It's all left us in a place where our most critical asset is difficult to attract, more difficult to retain, and near impossible to keep productive. Most companies still treat their people as a renewable resource, important to business, but ultimately replaceable. The companies that understand how detrimental to an organization messing up your talent strategy can be are the ones best positioned to emerge from this pandemic and the catastrophes that accompanied it as destinations for the best and the brightest. Every week, Humans Resourced will talk to some of the smartest, most driven, most compassionate people leaders, and sometimes they're people, to identify what they do differently. What do they see for the future of human resources? How do they think about rewarding their talent? What are they doing to adjust quickly in the wake of such a huge upheaval? Hopefully, these conversations will help you. People leaders at small or mid-sized companies implement the changes at your company that makes it a destination for talent. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast today. Kyle Healy from NFB with you again. Excited about our conversation today. We've got, I think, a really interesting kind of cool guest to talk to, Melissa Stewart. She's actually at Mariner Innovations right now. Melissa is focused on enablement, change, but the people side of that. So unlike most of our guests, who I think come from a very specific people management perspective, I thought it'd be really cool to get... Um, a person who simply cares about people. Talk to us about where the future of people management is going. Melissa, thanks for uh, thanks for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. That's great. So why don't you tell us uh, before we jump into all of the fascinating things we want to talk about, how did you get to where you are today? What are you doing today? What is what is Mariner doing and, and kind of what's your role there? Sure thing. So I'll kind of give you the Coles notes. So I work at Mariner Innovations here in Atlantic Canada as a change management specialist. So it's funny, I did come from sales enablement in my previous role. And you're you recovering, know, as lawyers yeah. like to say, recovering <laughs> sales. Yeah. In sales enablement, we look after people, process, and technology, right? Yeah. Change management is exactly that but more at the project level and focused really entirely on the people side with the impacts coming from process and technology. So what we're really focused on is making sure that the people who are going to make this change happen are ready for it. Do they understand the vision and why we're doing it? Are they properly trained? Is there other change happening around them? Do they even have capacity for this right now? Really thinking about all of those different factors that would impact the success of the change and giving that time and breathing space for people to feel prepared. That's awesome. And I feel like there's a lot of people leaders who could probably benefit from that perspective and that approach as well. Change is such a huge part of what everyone is talking about right now. The world has so radically changed everywhere in everything, in every profession, in every industry over the past couple of years. 
right? The theme of why we're talking, the theme of why I thought it was important to kind of start talking to all of these people who love people and, and think of people being at the center of all of this change. Unlike previous, we'll call them catastrophes, market shifting events, right? Where financial professionals maybe were at the center of it. I really just think at the center of all of this change is so much about the people and how people have changed and where we're working from and how we're working. Do you kind of agree with that perspective? What's your opinion on all of that and where where people sit in terms of how we think about all this change? How critical are they to us really kind of getting through this period of change in your opinion? Well, it's funny. I was thinking about this before our chat. Oh, good. I could have the best idea. I could have the best product, the best process update. But if I'm relying on people to make it a success, I need to make sure that they're ready for it, right? So what's happening right now in our world, there's a lot of change. We're in some strange times. And it's a lot of change that we have zero control over. Then that's unsettling. There's a lot of unknowns that can lead to a lot of anxiety. So what I feel in the workplace that organizations and people leaders really should be looking at is what do people need to remove some of that anxiety and some of those unknowns, right? So when I come into work and I've got my to-do list here to keep me organized and I'm checking- Handwritten on the list. How very traditional of you. Well, it's a rocket book, so it's not too old school. Oh, okay. Sorry, I couldn't tell that on the video. Okay, okay, never mind. You points for that. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, it's clarity and expectations and understanding when I come to work, what is expected of me? What do I need to do to be successful? People want to do a good job. They really do. But they need that clarity now because of all of the chaos that's happening in this world, right? So yeah. as people leaders... We really need to kind of take these conversations down to a lower level and listen to our people. What do they need? And actually incorporate some of their feedback into our day-to-day. People have a lot of choice now with this great resignation that's happening. I like to call it the great relocation or the great... (laughs) There's a few other ways we can describe it, but for us to keep our superstars here and happy, we need to start listening to what they need and we need to start taking action on that. So how do you structure that, right? You you talked about process, right? One of the things I heard you say at the beginning was process. I'm a data guy, I'm a process guy. You never never know it because I think I'm more of a sales guy first, but I, I love data and I love process and I don't think it's tail wagging the dog. How do organizations of different sizes, small organizations, mid sized organizations, especially that maybe don't have huge teams or budgets, right? Like how do they create that environment, establish that process to be able to, to hear what employees have to say, right? Like, do you have any thoughts on, on how do you set that up? What do you do? What are some simple things you can put in place so that you can actually gather that insight? Yeah, absolutely. So one way you can do it is a simple survey, right? And engage Qualitative, right? Right, right. Exactly. Ask the questions, get the data back. But that will take you so far. I'm sure you've been in organizations where people will respond to surveys the way they think they're supposed to. (laughs) No, no, nobody lies on internet surveys, Melissa. This is breaking news here for me. (laughs) But that's why I think it is so important even to have that level of data, the survey data, great. 
That's a foundational point. At a minimum, you should have that and compare it on a quarterly basis or even a monthly basis. But the next step is to have conversations. Those one-on-ones with your people leaders or your people, they're important. That's where you can actually dig in and find out, okay, since we last talked, how are you progressing on the goals that we set? Is there, are there any obstacles in your way? How can I help you? Because we really need to elevate these people and make sure that they're engaged and happy. That's another thing I'd like to chat about too. I'm sorry, I keep pointing at you. <laughs> it's okay. Because there's this two-dimensional screen in between us, I don't feel threatened by it. You can continue okay. to point. Okay, great. But when we think about engagement, what is engagement? What does that mean? to you. I I found when the pandemic hit and we moved to a work from home environment, there were a lot of discussions around getting people engaged. So there were a lot of virtual happy hours that were scheduled, maybe some Slack chat groups that were created to facilitate conversation. But the more I thought about it and the more that pandemic kind of looms on, I really think it's about feeling as though you're a part of a collective purpose. You're driving towards a specific goal for the company and you have a hand in that. What you're doing is important and will help the company get there. So I think engagement is really feeling that that what you're doing is impactful and that also your company is looking after you and invested in you and helping you grow That's another part of the engagement, I think, really, your career progression. Where do you want to be? Is your company helping you get there? All of these different things are going to make you excited. Know that you're being taken care of, taking some of those unknowns out of this crazy world and helping you be successful. Do we need to get much more narrow and micro with our focus on engagement? I feel like this sense of of connection to the vision or the purpose of the company is not new or radical from a from a people management perspective. What I think I'm hearing though, and so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but tell me if it, right, like we can't address these large cohorts the way we did, right? We used to break it down by generational cohort or job function. It, it sounds like we have to almost get down hand to hand is what you're saying and make sure each individual feels their fit, their connection to the bigger purpose is specific to them, is special, is, is critical, is important. Is that, you're saying we got to get more narrow with it? Is that, or or is it, yeah. am I missing it? No, you took the words out of my mouth. I appreciate okay. that. <laughs> that was a great interpretation, Kyle. <laughs> no, I agree wholeheartedly. I think we do need to be more narrow and we need to be listening to what every employee is looking for, because that is what's going to keep them engaged. Otherwise, I mean, I'm sure you've got recruiters in your inbox and LinkedIn every day, right? There's a lot of options out there. For everyone listening, I don't. But <laughs> I mean, I get like, maybe I should. I don't. Now I feel bad, Melissa. I don't know. Like that's, uh, yeah. For all the recruiters out there, it make me feel special too, I guess. So Melissa's got recruiters in her inbox every day is what we just learned, which is fantastic. Melissa, right, you're on the change management side. You talked about enablement of people trying to get kind of a little bit more narrow and and really deal with each individual and how they feel they are connected to sort of the purpose of the vision or, or what the company is sort of focused on sounds great. Things are changing so quickly. What, what could you tell or share with sort of people leaders about trying to be practical 
about you know employing or deploying some of these some of these strategies, right? How how do you keep up with the pace of change? How do you make sure you're on top of the how these people are feeling and when their feelings change, you're there for right? Like, right? I feel like it's been a roller coaster of emotions. How do you how do you keep up with the change to make sure you're you're tapped into your people in a way that allows you to adjust the strategy, take care of them, give them something new, connect them to a different purpose? I love that question. And I feel like it all comes down to making sure that you have a culture of feedback in place. You can have your engagement surveys, which is great. You can do those every so often. But having that open door policy or even an email address that people can anonymous, well, I guess it's not anonymous, but they can send their feedback to it, like lots of different ways for people to have a conversation and lots of different ways for them to give you ideas and feedback because not everybody is going to share in a one-on-one. Some people feel a bit more brave behind a keyboard. You may not get always honest answers on your engagement surveys, but it takes, it'll take a lot of work to get this information and crunch it and come up with a strategy. As part of change management, that's what we do. So I, when I start on a project, I always start with a vision alignment. Do we have the senior leaders and the middle managers all on board with where we're going with this? If not, that's step one. We need to make sure that everybody is moving in the same direction and that they're motivated. We need to have a communication plan in place from every level of the organization cascading down so that that purpose, that thing that we're striving towards is known across the organization. And it's the same message. People are engaged and working towards that same goal. And then we've got the impact. So if there are business process changes, what's the impact? Are there internal, external impacts that we need to account for? What's the training that's going to have to happen around those changes? There's so many things to think about. I think I went off track on this question, but <laughs> no, I like all of the things. You're right. Those are all of the things we have to think about. What So you're saying the end goal, the purpose is, is we're all trying to strive for this, this engagement, right? Engagement leads to productivity. Productivity leads to profitability. Companies with engaged employees do better than companies with disengaged employees, right? Like it's, it's like, duh. But right, like you're talking a lot about how we do the qualitative measurement. Are there any types of quantitative or really specific data points you'd say companies should be concerned about or thinking about measuring or diving into to, to start to understand whether they have an engagement problem, whether whether there's a reason for change or not. I mean, I guess that's a silly question. Of course, there's always a reason for change. Everybody's always trying to improve, but right, like how do you look at the, the quantitative to start to understand how big of a change you need to make maybe, I guess, is the simpler question there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So in the project that I'm on now, we actually look at the engagement surveys that the organization puts out on a quarterly basis and we'll crunch the numbers and we'll come up with a good, neutral, bad scoring. To actually like an engagement measure. score. Right, yeah, based on that. So, and we'll compare it to the organization as a whole, compare divisions, you name it. So, because then we can actually dig in and find trouble spots that we need to address. Are you seeing any trends in terms of trouble spots, things that seem to just be not necessarily specific to any one project or company, but seem to be more on the macro level, just a result of kind of this weird world we're in? Absolutely. Communication is a huge one. Right. We've talked about how there are so many unknowns in this world right now, which leads to anxiety. The more communication, the better, because people will feel, I don't know, it's almost like a, hey, we're doing okay. 
<laughs> and I know what's coming up next. I don't have to worry about that. So as much communication as you can do, I think the better. I mean, when would it ever be a bad thing to communicate or just give an update, even if it's just like no update this week, you know, <laughs> even that in itself is going to set people's minds at ease. What about people who might be resistant to change? Not everybody thinks change is good. Not everybody's willing to sort of embrace this idea that, well, the world is just fundamentally different now, right? Like we, we, we have to do things differently. You can't fight the change. How does a, a people leader or someone maybe in a, in a generation that is more open to change try to communicate and articulate the need for change maybe up the ladder and in a way that makes sense from a business perspective that isn't kind of emotionally driven or touchy-feely or about making somebody feel better, but rather about you know how this leads to better business outcomes? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you're right. Happy employees leads to better productivity, leads to happier clients, which could lead to cross-sell, upsell, right? <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, this sounds, yes. Sounds like something positive. we talk about, yeah. Yeah, just positive across the board. So for leaders, people leaders, to try to push this up, it's a good question. And it's something that I'm dealing with now. So in change management, if we do have people who are resisting the change, usually there's a reason for it. It could be that they just want to be heard and have the conversation and tell you why they're resisting or, or what the obstacles are. And what I've found in my experience is if you listen to these people or these groups of people and you come up with an action plan or you co-create a solution with them, they can become your biggest cheerleaders <laughs> and supporting the change. It's amazing. What everybody needs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Big cheerleaders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so for people, people leaders who are trying to push this up to senior leaders, what I would say is, I mean, if you're implementing a project, your technical readiness for implementation, you could, you could be ready. You could have it configured. You could just be ready to go. The tech is ready. But if your people don't understand the why and they're resisting and they're not trained to the level that they really should be, they're not prepared do you think that implementation is going to be successful? So that's an interest. The technical readiness versus sort of like the 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 emotional readiness, the the people readiness. That's a that's an interesting comparison. How, how do you try to marry? Is it all just training and communication, like we've already talked about? How do you try to marry the technical readiness with the people readiness? The training and communication is definitely a part of it, but there's also things that you'll have to have in place, like the alignment piece is number one. Absolutely. Every top down buy-in. Exactly. And then you've also got a coaching plan that you'd have to have in place an adoption and sustainability plan. How are you going to measure the success of this change after it's implemented? So there's a lot of planning that happens up front, identifying the impacts on the different stakeholders in the change and how to account for those in training or communication, what have you. There's a lot of planning that has to happen up front for that change readiness or that people readiness checkbox to be checked off. And at that point, in my opinion, that's when the tech should be implemented. Otherwise, you're going to be doing a lot of retraining after the fact. You're going to have a lot of people who are 
maybe their brain's on fire. They're unhappy. Oh, there's <laughs> right? your, see, there's your enablement hack coming back. You're like, oh yeah, I've been there, done that. Right, right. So change management happens. It can happen up front or it can happen after when there's some emotional damage that's taken place. <laughs> oh, that's such a good way to put it too. The emotional damage, the, the, the repair and, and picking up of the emotionally damaged. Yeah. So the other thing we've been talking about, at least on our side recently, right? Trend versus trendy. There's a lot of people out there who have a lot of opinions on like, what's going to stick as a result of the pandemic. And I, I liken it to here in the United States after we went through, you know, the 2011 and then the financial crisis, there were a lot of regulatory agencies that stuck around. We thought they were going to be temporary. They stuck around as a result of this pandemic and all this change and this hybrid work. Do you think there's anything that is being talked about a lot now, especially around hybrid work and work from home and needing to be flexible. And you talked about not the great resignation, but the great relocation, right? That is trendy. Or do you think all of this is really just a trend towards a like completely different work kind of life balance equilibrium? That is a great question. Trend versus trendy. I like I put that. you on the spot. I don't think we prepped for that one. As I was hearing you talk, I was like, we're going to trend versus trendy. What's sticking around? What's going out the window? I think that the work from home, I work from home all day, every day now. I think that will stick around to a point. Maybe it's partially trendy, but not fully trendy. <laughs> What I think will happen is you'll see people going into the office maybe a day or two a week. I think that you will see younger people going into the office more often because, I mean, when you step back and think about it, for myself, I've been in IT for 15 years now. I've made my relationships and I have mentors. I have people that I can connect with. For people who are just starting their career, not so much. I mean, yeah. when you join an organization, that is your opportunity to get to know people in, the, in your industry and in that space and make those lifelong relationships. So that networking piece that we had, I think is missing for the younger generations. I think you'll see them going in more often to the office. Okay, so hybrid work, a trend. The idea that the younger generations only want to be in front of their screens, trendy. This is what, <laughs> I, this is what I just heard. I kind of agree with you. I, like. There was a weird roller coaster in the middle of the, the pandemic, I think, where people were like, this work from home thing is awesome. I'm never going to go into an office again. And then it stretched out a little bit. And those same people started to go like, actually, you know what? Like the office sounds great. There was a, there was a weird point where we stopped. Somebody said this to me the other day. We stopped working from home and started sleeping where we worked. And I think that was the inflection point where people were like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. Yeah, I agree. I moved my office upstairs recently because I just couldn't work at the dining table anymore. Right. I needed to separate work from home. From and eating? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think it's different again for people with young families. Agreed. I don't know what your experience has been there, but here we have had periods of time where the Kids are home doing online learning. So I can't even imagine having young children and then trying to work on top of that and police their learning. It's difficult. So I could see those people wanting to go back to the office. Agreed. I'm there. I have a five-year-old. I completely agree <laughs> with that. We talked trend, trendy. So you're looking ahead 12, 18, 24 months. 
What's the next big thing, right? What are, what are you thinking about down the road with the projects you're working on or the, the different companies you're engaged with? What's the next big change to navigate? And how are you all preparing to kind of deal with that? Or are you like, look, at this point, I don't know. I have no idea. We're just in a completely reactive, we'll deal with it when it comes up kind of mode. I think that there's a huge focus right now and will continue to be on employee experience and client experience and how to make that the best possible experience so that it's attractive to people looking for jobs, but also that you keep your people that you have in place because it's really expensive to lose someone and have to hire someone else, right? All that knowledge that you lose too, it's it's not good. So I think that that will continue. It's in place now to a point, but I think it will expand. I think you'll see companies focusing on that. Interesting. I know customer experience was the big thing kind of leading into the pandemic, but employee experience often kind of takes that, that back seat. And that's, uh, that does feel like a big shift if you're right. I agree. Yeah. For HR organizations, especially your divisions in an organization, I mean, employees are your customers. So I guess it is kind of customer experience. <laughs> that's it. Two sides of the same coin. That's exactly right. And you said that earlier, right? Happy employees leads to happy clients leads to, right? Like it's all, it's, it's all part linear. of the equation. I know. I know. It's great. Melissa, thanks so much for the time today. I really appreciate all the talk about change and how to manage through change because it's just, it feels like that is, there's no separating that from the day to day anymore. It's not like a project. It is life and work these days. So really appreciate the perspective. Final thoughts, anything to plug? You want to I'm going to give a shout for, for Mariner. Anybody looking for uh, change management support? <laughs> yes. Reach out to Mariner Innovations. <laughs> there you go. Reach out to Mariner Innovations. Yeah. The last thing I'd like to say is I think something that maybe we should be thinking about too as we go forward is that perfection is kind of the barrier to progress, right? Let's really have conversations about what isn't working so that we can make changes and learn and grow. I like that a lot. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good spot that like goes back to the communication, empathy, putting people at the center of all this change. You got to be able to deal with kind of like the bad stuff too, not all just the good stuff in order to grow and learn from it. That's an awesome message to take away. Thanks, Melissa. That's a good one. My pleasure. I hope you had as much fun as I did. I appreciate the chat. We'll have to have you back in a couple months to talk about how the change is going and what else you're seeing. In the meantime, everybody, more episodes of the podcast on www.nfp.com. For any of your risk management consulting, HR benefits, or people needs, please go to www.nfp.com. I'm Kyle Healy. Thanks to our guest, Melissa Stewart. We will see you next time. Have a good day, everybody. Everybody.